Hello, church family. This is Esther chapter 9, part 2. Esther chapter 9, part 2. Uh, if you recall, we were uh, going through this chapter, and this is the chapter where uh, basically the Jews were able to defend themselves. Uh, they were able to have this second edict that went around, and they destroyed all the enemies. And the enemies that they destroyed were not um, for selfish reasons. It says in three three verses in chapter 9 that they did not lay hands on their plunder. Um, and it's because of this victory that they have, uh, they were able to celebrate, and they, they create this this um, holiday called Purim. Uh, Purim is uh, basically the word lot uh, in plural form, and it's supposed to uh, commemorate the fact that the Jews were spared, um, that there was victory, that the enemies of the Jews uh, are now taken care of, and that the Jews can uh, remember this day as uh, as God, the invisible hand of God, even though they don't acknowledge Him, that like they were spared uh, from uh, from all type of uh, impending doom. And you recall I said, what are some of the applicational points? And I thought about, just um, for today, we'll do two questions. Uh, first being, why do you do, well, why do we do what we do at church? Now, the reason why I ask this question, because, you know, Purim in the book of Esther was designed to, for people to remember. It's it's supposed to be something that's distinct. In fact, this is actually one of the few festivals that they hold to, even to today, um, in modern uh Orthodox Jews, uh, they actually uh, would have these parties. I think I mentioned this, like that the their their moms would bake these little cake called Haman's ears, uh, and every time they would um, uh, he- read through this book, that they'll have different uh, kids actually pretend and play, uh, kind of like when churches have like Christmas pageants. Well, they have like an Esther pageant, and they'll have different characters play um, Esther, Mordecai, Haman, and King Harris and all the characters. And they just read through this book, and they reenact this, and every time Haman speaks, and every time Haman comes up, they would make these noise and booing things just to show that uh, they disdain uh, Haman. But every time Mordecai and Esther appears, they'll cheer. Um, and again, that's just a way for them to remember uh, that the Jews um, will always find a way to be spared. Uh, but the way that they do it now is different. Uh, in chapter 9, verse 22, it says that they would uh, uh, rejoice by giving gifts and sending uh, sending gifts to one another and giving gifts to the poor. And uh, they still somewhat do that, but they added little things to it. In fact, in the Talmud, which is like a, the Jewish um, book where they keep all their traditions, when they went to when they get to the Purim section, it speaks about how the Jews can get drunk as much as they want. Uh, they just get drunk as if um, they have to get so drunk that, that they just basically go through, um, they can forget all of Purim. And that's just the way that they celebrate it. Uh, this is, again, a way for them to remember what God has done. And this is something that, again, Purim was made by Jewish by the Jewish people. It was actually not made by God. God did not institute this. Um, in fact, the things that are instituted today, like the Day of Atonement, uh, the the the, the booth, feast of booths, all of the ones that you see in Leviticus, they actually don't practice it exactly. And the reason why they don't is because they don't have the temple. Without the temple, they aren't able to offer the sacrifices and do what they need to do. So it's interesting that of all the things that they need to remember, the things that are actually by God that they need to remember his faithfulness, they choose not to do it, but rather they choose to uh, keep this one. And I think it's mainly because there's no need to sacrifice any animals or anything. 
Uh, in fact, I mentioned last one, where the, whereas the Levitical sacrificial system, they were all they all involved losing something. They all involved the giving up animals or yeah, mainly animals or, or, or comforts. Uh, this one is really the, the opposite, where it's really indulgence. Uh, but it's designed for them uh, to remember uh, all that Haman and Esther, or Haman, Esther, and Mordecai, this whole story of how the Jews were, or, were rescued. So then why do we do what we do in the church? And I wonder if you ever thought about that question. I know that there are things that we've thought of, that we speak of and when we, before when we were meeting at church, things like baptism and communion. You understand these are both ordinances by the Lord and that we do these things to remember the Lord. Baptism is a symbol of our salvation. It's, it's a picture of how we go enter into the water of death and then come back to life. And it's a picture, again, of looking back at what Christ has done on the cross for us. And this goes the same with communion. Communion is the breaking of bread, like Christ's body breaking, and the drinking of the cup is, is, is like the picture of God's blood being poured out for our sins. And these are all designed for us to look to, uh, to think back, uh, to, uh, to link back and to look ahead of what we all have. But there are also other commands in scriptures that, um, that's designed, uh, there's, re- there's revealed in scripture for us to remember. I'm going to list two that we don't really think about, but it's something that we really need to uh, consider. Uh, again, these aren't ordinances, but they are, these are commands in Scripture. Uh, one of them is singing. Uh, the reason why Christians sing is because we sing of God's faithfulness. If you think about the songs we sing, they're always talking about one of two things, either what God has done in the past for our sins and or something that he will do or hope for the future. It's always those two. Um, uh, those, th- the reason why we do these things is because we're called to do that. Uh, we're called to make songs and hymns and spiritual songs, and it's supposed to uh, encourage us to um, uh, to remember all that Christ has done. It's a creative way that the Lord um, has designed and built into man, uh, so we can use our gifts and use our talents um, to, uh, to 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 in- to build one another up and to remember the Lord. There are so much more things in life that we forget than we remember. And sometimes singing is a means by which we do that. Uh, we are, are called to sing joyfully to the Lord. We're called to uh, sing, make a joyful noise. Um, we're called to uh, sing. Uh, if you recall several months ago, um, one of the guest preachers taught on that. The reason why we sing is, is to, to always commemorate and to, uh, and to instill in our minds um, the truth that uh, God's character and all things he's done. That's why even back in the Old Testament, when the Jewish people would teach their children about the Lord, it's always in terms of songs. And even the way that uh, as a parent, when, when you know, Kelly and I are singing to our kids, it's, it, they, they kind of recognize the rhythm. They may not know what we're singing, but they're slowly learning the truths of God. And that's a really distinct thing in the Christian world, um, that we have, we have the ability to we were commanded, actually, to go uh, create songs so that um, we could remember uh, and be thankful to the Lord. Um, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, Dale once asked, uh, I, uh, I don't know if it was like a challenge, but he asked, why do we always sing songs that other people create? Well, we as a church, we have enough talented people, we should try to make songs of our own. And I agree. If that's something that you like to do, you should totally write. You should do uh, write songs or do things um, 
creatively because this is something the Lord has gifted you in. You can use these songs to point back to the Lord. Um, that's what singing does. It helps instill uh, uh, truth into our life. Um, so that, you know, when we walk around, we can sing uh, songs, and it's easy for us to remember those things. It's like a form of pneumonic, it's a mnemonic device. Um, but this is good. It's good for us to uh, to be able to um, to remember. Um, and another thing that, uh, aside from singing, baptism, and communion, uh, one thing that I thought about is what are things that help us remember? This sounds weird, but church discipline. Uh, church discipline. Because Matthew 18 tells us that we need to church discipline of people that are in sin, that we need to, uh, they're in sin, we have to go, oh, you know, yourself first, and then if that person rejects, then you go with another person, and third, you go with uh, elders, and fourth, you kick them out of the church. Um, we see that in Matthew 18, and even in Second uh, Corinthians 1, we see this un- very unique picture where uh, there's a person that was accusing Paul, and in, uh, sorry, Second Corinthians 2, uh, the whole chapter is about how um, Paul wants this one individual to be uh, restored. This person has been uh, um, sinned against Paul, but yet Paul forgave him, and he wants the church to do it as well. Second uh, Corinthians two uh, nine for to this, and also I write so that I might put you to the test whether you're obedient in all things. But one of whom you forgive anything I forgive also, for indeed that I have forgiven. If I have forgiven anything, I did it for sake, for your sake in the presence of Christ, and that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So part of um, what Paul is saying here is that we need to forgive, because if we don't forgive, after that sinning believer has repented, then um, we're, we're falling into the hands of the devil, and early on, and even in this chapter, it talks about how we need to forgive and so that uh, they will not be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. That's uh, verse 7 and verse 8 of Second Corinthians 2. Wherever I urge you to affirm your love for him. This is a guy that sinned against Paul. He was church disciplined out, but he repented, and Paul tells the church to go and forgive him. But then there's also another group of people that, that we need church discipline as a way to remember, and that is elders and leaders. Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us that the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For scripture said, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest of so the rest also will be fearful of sinning. See, this is the way the Lord is trying to... Uh, um, cultivate a heart of brokenness of sin when a leader falls you you make it publicly known so that they remember not to uh to, to walk in the path of sin uh it's it's designed so that we can be fearful um i shared this uh, in a sermon i think a year ago we had a uh, um an elders meeting about a year ago or there was these faint there's one famous preacher that fell and then another where it's like um a local pastor that fell, and someone that some of us knew in our church, and it, it was it freaked me out. Uh, it made me just worried. Of, uh, and even to this day, I like when I think about that elders meeting, I get I get scared of, and more watchful, mindful of my own walk with the Lord, because I know that it's possible that I can be just like these fallen pastors. 
See, these things are designed. Church discipline is designed for the purity of the church. And even when there's someone kicked out of the church, it's designed for you to remember that you need to walk in holiness and obedience to the Lord. Much like the things like Purim and um, baptism and communion, these are all designed for us to remember God and his word. So that's the first question. Why do you do what we do? And the second question, uh, I'll try to go through some quick, quicker, but um, how does a person make decision in life in light of God's sovereignty? Um, how do you know God's will in your life? If God is sovereign over every little thing, then how do we make decisions? Um, I'm going to walk through these eight points really quickly. Um, so, uh, and I'm not going to read all the verses, but at least I'll kind of summarize some of these verses so that um, you know that these are from Scripture, um, just for the sake of time. First, if you want to know the will of God, obviously, first you have to be saved. It makes no sense for you to uh, want to know God's will if you're not on the same team. You know, that's like that's called uh, treason. That's called being a, like a like a spy. You know. The, God's will is not for non-believers, it's for believers. So if you want to know God's will, the very first thing you need to do is be saved, is be part of his family, to be part of his kingdom. That's how we first and foremost know his will. We're saved and we have a desire to know God's God's word. Second, sanctify. Uh, you need to be, grow in Christ-likeness. Uh, first, that's only for us. The will of God is this, um, your sanctification. You abstain from sexual sin. Um, that your life is holy, you know, you're called to be holy for God is holy. That means you have to pursue a life of, 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 of cutting off sin in your life, a life of faithfulness to the Lord, um, that you don't live a life filled with sin. Uh, and the reason why that is is because uh, if you're living in sin, you're doing what's catering to the flesh and not what's pleasing to the Lord. Uh, you're not looking like Christ, and those who, have, who look like Christ have the mind of Christ. Uh, and you can't have that if you're living and indulging in sin. So that's saved, sanctified. Third, spirit-filled. Um, Romans 15, 13. Uh, you could just jot that down with Galatians 5. You know this is the fruit of the Spirit. Um, Ephesians 5, 18 even tells us uh, not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. And what that means is that our lives match to whatever um, Scripture tells us. Um, uh, our life should look different. We're moved by the Spirit to do the things uh, that the Spirit expects. And, and it's through the work of the Spirit, um, and as we understand God's Word, we apply it to our lives. Things like the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all things that, are, that should define the life of a Christian. Uh, so that's Spirit-filled. Saved, sanctified, Spirit-filled. Suffering. Uh, I think this might be apropos to our time because there's two types of suffering that I can anticipate. One is through this coronavirus thing, and two, possibly even the government. Uh, but as Christians, part of being God's will is that, you're, that you suffer not because of stupidity, but you suffer for doing the right thing. That when you're honoring the Lord, that you live holy lives that people hate it, that's why you get, and you get suffered for it. That's what's pleasing to the Lord. First uh, Peter 3.17 tells us that... Um, no, I guess maybe a little bit early. 14, chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear the intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Um, that with gentleness and perseverance, reverence, reverence, and keep a good conscience so that in things which you are slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it's better that if God should will 
it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. For Christ died, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring to us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So this is part of like the Christian life, that when we suffer, we should always be because we're doing what's pleasing to the Lord. Um, and and that, that means that you have to actually know God's word, that you're sanctified, that you're spirit-filled. And sometimes uh, what that looks like practically is like you don't cheat on your your homework exams, even when your friends uh, are asking you to, that you might lose those type of friendships because um, you're not, you know, go, uh, you're not helping your friends, but you're doing what's right in the Lord. Or it means that when you're working, that when your coworkers are taking shortcuts or lying and different things, you choose not to do those things because you would rather be pleasing to the Lord. You work with the for one person, you work primarily for the Lord. And sometimes that faithfulness will mean that you suffer. Uh, fifth, uh, we said this a little bit earlier, saying thanks. Uh, where if you look at, if you just Google the word thanks in the Bible, it shows up multiple times. And this goes along with singing as well, that we just keep saying thanks to the Lord. Part of the life of the Christian is that we are thankful people. Christians are always thankful because we know that what we have now, we don't deserve. As bad as things are now, it's way better than what we deserve. The only thing that we deserve is the wrath of God. So even any suffering in this life that we have, still better than what we actually deserve. So Christians are always people that are thankful to the Lord. Next, submissive. Um, this is similar to, maybe for us, uh, similar to the suffering one. Uh, Romans 13 tells us we need to submit to the government. First uh, Peter tells us that we need to, as well, that we need to submit to the government, uh, to every human institution. Um, uh, First Peter 2.13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human, human institution, whether to king as to the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. See, part of um, submitting to government is that you trust the Lord, that you do the right thing. Obviously, there's going to be this, uh, moments where if they tell us to do something that goes against Scripture, that's, yes, that's where we will do the Acts 5 thing, where it's like we will submit to God more than uh, over man. But in general cases, a lot of things that we deem as suffering isn't that big of a deal. In the grand scheme of things, things that are hard, whether there's like some sort of tax law that we don't like, or um, even things like tra uh, traffic laws that we don't like, we're called to submit to them. We're called to submit, the, submit to them so that um, we, we'll be pleasing to the Lord, that we know that we're submitting ultimately to Him. Um, for some of you uh, that want to be that want to be wives, part of submitting for you is to submit to your own husbands. Uh, submit it, submit to them. Yeah, that's, a, that's pleasing to the Lord. If you're a child, you're living at home, you need to submit to your parents. This is Colossians 3 and Ephesians as well. Uh, you're called to submit. Uh, part of a, a humble life of Christ is that he's, Christ submitted. You know, Christ honored his parents. Christ submitted to the government. Um, he did all the things that was right. It was pleasing ultimately to the Lord. And that's what we need to do as well, that we need to be submissive. Lastly, well, not lastly, seventh, uh, sharing Christ. So we talk about saved, sanctified, spirit-filled, suffering, saying thanks, submissive, sharing Christ. This is Matthew 20, making disciples of all nations. 
is a command by the Lord that we need to go out and make disciples, that we evangelize the lost, that we to take opportunities to uh, to share the gospel with those who don't know him. Um, so that's just, uh, and that, that's given, right? We understand this principle that we have to go, that we don't waste our life, that, we, that every opportunity that we have is an opportunity uh, to win people to the Lord. So if you're doing all these things, if you're saved, sanctified, spiritual, suffering, saying thanks, submissive, and uh, sharing Christ, then really you're walking in the Spirit, and you can do the last point, which is do whatever you want. If you're truly applying all seven of these biblical principles, feel free to do whatever you want. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What this means is that when you seek the will of God, God will give you the right desires to do what you need to do. So for some of you, you might be thinking, should I go to this school or that school? Well, uh, if you're doing all seven of these principles, you can do whatever you want and it will be pleasing to the Lord. You have that choice. And then whatever choice you are, if you're doing these seven things, it will honor the Lord in the long run. Um, who should I uh, marry? Well, whoever likes you and who will give you the opportunity to date you. And if you and and just go with that person and see what happens. As long as you're doing all seven of these principles, then you should be fine um, because you're walking closely with the Lord. What what job should I have? What career? What um, college I should go to? Whatever decision, big decisions in life, or even small ones, if you're exercising these seven principles, then you can do whatever you want because you're walking closely with the Lord, and the Lord will move your heart to do what He wants you to do. So, so this is a little bit longer uh, episode or whatever you call it, but um, those are the two questions that we consider. Why do we do what we do? And how do we make decisions in life in light of God's uh, sovereign will? And I hope this is helpful. I know there's a lot of information. You can go, um, rewind this and listen to it at a slower pace if it helps. Uh, but that's, uh, that's what we need uh, to think about um, for at least for today. Okay, I hope this is helpful and useful to you, and I will uh, see you guys tomorrow.